Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. The sponsor for this whole Labor Day Book Blast week is firstbook.org. Obviously, the pandemic is crippling education for millions of students, especially those in low-income communities. The widening digital divide and extended quote-unquote summer slide due to COVID is devastating. Apparently, 40% lack access to reliable internet and functioning digital devices they can use for online learning, making the need for physical books and resources to prevent further educational backsliding absolutely critical. Firstbook breaks down the barriers to education for children living in low-income communities by providing its network of more than 475,000 educators serving children in need with free and affordable new high-quality books, educational resources, and basic needs items through the award-winning First Book Marketplace nonprofit e-commerce site. They need your support to ensure these children have what they need to learn during this critical time. Visit firstbook.org to help. Raven Leilani is the debut author of novel Luster. Her work has been published in Granta, McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, the Yale Review, Conjunctions, The Cut, and New England Review, among other publications. She completed her MFA at NYU. Welcome, Raven. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. So first of all, your book, Luster, has been on like every single list of <laughs> books. You must be like over the moon. Every It's gotten so much attention and success and everything. What has this been like for you? It's been really, really surreal. Like truly, I think, you know, when we were originally going to like when we acquired the book, I think the main concern in the publishing industry at the moment, like a year ago in the before time, you know, was how do you, how do you publish a book doing what is sure to be like a, a very insane election year? And then, you know, we had the year we had and it felt, I mean, it, there's so many things that happened, <laughs> things that happened that almost make it feel inappropriate in a way to, to be talking about my book. But I feel really heartened that people have rallied around books and that people are, are connecting with, with my book. You know, that's, that's really the dream is that you put the book out there and people care about it, you know, and I used to work in publishing. So I've also seen like the other side of it. And so my expectations were very managed, you know, like I I had an idea of how this goes and it's really just surpassed my expectations. It's amazing. So for people people who don't know what Lester is about, can you give a little synopsis about the plot and then what made you, what inspired you to write this book and come up with the story? Sure. So like in in a nutshell, Lester is about a young black woman who is trying to lay claim to the right to make art but it's also about her relationship with a man who has an open marriage, but more so the relationship that she develops between or with his wife and, and child. So that's like the, the general plot. But in writing this, I'll say like I, when I start any project, I don't really, 
I don't really know what it's going to be and what it is or even what I mean by it, you know, <laughs> until I'm like maybe halfway through. And so when I got to the page, the thing that was really animating me was I wanted to depict a, a black woman who is full of yearning and desire and who is seeking connection in a way that feels, you know, that feels human. You know, I wanted to make room for her to stumble, you know, to make mistakes, but also for her to express, you know, that earnest id part. <laughs> but I also, you know, I wanted to write about art, like that was sort of the second half and more just because it's the thing that always finds its way into my work. Art making, but also the role of failure in art making is really important to me because I think that is like, I mean, like 80% of the endeavor. And then I wanted to talk bluntly about that. So do you perceive all different forms of creativity as art, regardless of the medium? Yes, 100%. 100%. I think that no matter what you're making, uh, if you're making it, right, you're, you're making something from nothing. There are these, there are hurdles, you know, that you have to jump in order to be able to realize that, that vision. And it's a, I mean, it's like a, it's kind of a, a hard and occasionally demoralizing state to be in, right? When you have a thing that you want to communicate and you cannot effectively articulate it or create it. I wanted to write about how you potentially move from that that state into one that feels generative, you know? And I think for me, being able to write about it in a way that felt honest, I hoped would feel liberating because I know that while I was writing this, you know, I was I was in my MFA, I was in school and I was working full time. And, and that is generally sort of the framework around how I wrote anything, really anything I've ever written has been in those off hours after my nine to five. And so my journey to even writing this book was really, you know, it was really jagged (laughs) and it wasn't straightforward progress, you know? And so I felt it was important to talk about that, the idea that, but sometimes there are hurdles, sometimes there are detours, and then that's okay. So take me back to like the very beginning of you <laughs> to find <laughs> out how we got here. So like, where were you born? And when did you start to like writing? Like, when did you know you were a writer? And take me along your, your jagged path that you just sure. referred to. So I, it's funny, like I, I, I've been writing for like technically for a while. You know, I, my, my, the event of my childhood was when, you know, my mom and I would go to like Walden Books and we'd get my one new sketchbook and one new journal. And like, I actually currently have an entire wooden chest of all the journals and I kept, and I, cause I was, I was constantly writing. I was, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist and part of that is keeping the Sabbath and, you know, my means of rebellion, I think was, was writing like privately, you know, these like little private stories. But I think it really wasn't until pretty recently where I, I really wanted to make a, a real go of it. I was, I was living in DC. I'd been there for like four or five years, kind of just working and paying my student loans and, and kind of just trying to work. And then I, it was like 2016, 2017, and I decided to come back to New York to pursue my MFA. I was really looking for a community of writers. You know, with the MFA, you, you never know. Like you might not you don't know what that will actually yield ultimately, but I knew I needed an environment where there was a certain seriousness and, and rigor around the work. 
And you don't, you know, like you can find that in a number of different ways. But that was the moment where I was like, I'm really, really going to try and do this thing. And so it was, it was like, just, it was like four years ago. Where I was like, I, I feel really serious about this. And I at least try and, and go after it. But I will say that in the years before that, I was really just doing, like, like I mentioned, I was writing after work and writing short stories and submitting them everywhere, like, <laughs> like hundreds of places, hundreds of, I mean, not hundreds of stories, but like, you know, I kept an Excel document with all the projections, you know, from a literary magazines. And I was, so that was the first, those were the first steps I took to try and be serious about it. So it's, it's been, it's honestly been a, a journey and most of the work has been kind of work that is private and so almost like invisible. And so right now I'll say like, it feels like a dream to have a visible thing in the world. So amazing. By the way, <laughs> just little as- tip as an aside, I also kept like a whole cabinet of all my journals from yes. the diary I kept growing up. I have like all different, you know, different formats and, you know, whatever was trendy at that time, the different yes. colors. And anyway, I have like piles and piles. And recently my 13 year old daughter like stumbled upon them. So Keep them locked up until you're ready to have like all the sessions of whatever is in there. (laughs) It's so funny you say that because like when I was getting all of that stuff out of storage, like is that my parents' storage and I was, you know, taking it home with me, my boyfriend was with me and he happened to like pick up one of the journals I was around. I was like, no, (laughs) you can't, you cannot see that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some were pretty chaste. Like, I had my first slow dance today. Like, right. oh, you know, green marker, you know. And but then, yeah, even like, <laughs> like all the yearbooks with all the messages in them. I'm like, let's just keep all these yearbooks. Right. Like, oh my gosh. Anyway, you never know where these things are going to end up. <laughs> so, but but meanwhile, Lester is so. I mean vivid and almost with this like brazen sexuality. I mean, there is like no holds barred. On yeah. this thing. And I, in fact, my niece was listening to us and I was like, this is not the podcast for her to be like sitting on. <laughs> I, this is, I don't know how this is going to go, but anyway, but <laughs> tell me about like, not only writing about all the sort of sexual feelings and experiences and mm-hmm. everything from like, you know, not having the right batteries for the vibrator to like, yes. <laughs> you know, to like, you know, all the fantasies before and getting ready for the, you know, why is he not having sex? Like just so much stuff. Yeah. How do you feel now that's like totally out there. Do you ever feel like, well, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, I will say I, I didn't, I didn't actually anticipate the intensity of the response, you know, to, to those scenes in the book. Cause I kind of feel like I just wrote it the only way I could, which was in a way that made room for that, you know, the parts of bodily drama, the parts of sex that are like concrete and, and ugly in a way, you know, it's important, right. To, to talk about not being able to find the right batteries for the vibrator, you know, like this is a character who is, you know, who feels deeply and, and cares deeply and is, is really seeking that out in the world and, and, you know, making mistakes in, in service to that, but like that. It's, it's, it's actually kind of tricky to talk about because there's so much about Edie as a character that's sublimated, you know, like if we weren't privy to her interior, you know, to her candid thoughts, she would be a very different character if we only saw those ex- that external behavior. So it's not that she is always earnest in that she's expressing herself, but she is, her core is earnest in that she is full of yearning and full of desire and and unabashed in the way that she tries to satisfy those carnal 
like real human needs. So when writing the sex, you know, that too, it felt like an extension of, of her seeking, you know, like writing when she's not having sex and when she's like dying to like be touched, you know, is it felt like I didn't want to, want to write a character who was actually aloof, you know, like right, she, she right. makes jokes about not wanting to be that and, and wanting to curate an image that, that looks like that. And that too is like, like you mentioned the fantasy, you know, what it looks like when you, you come up against the fantasy and you have to reconcile it with flesh as she does with Eric, you know, and the role that fantasy has in, in that, like in reinvigorating that, that connection between them and the way it's obliterated when they kind of get to know each other is, is really fun to play with. But I think the realities of body and, and of, you know, however many bodies in a space revealing themselves to each other is, is really fun, you know, real estate to play with. And it was important for me to make room for the way it can be silly and strange and contradictory and to be really, you know, to be really direct about especially the drama, like inherent of the, the female body. You know, there's so much that's always going on that I think we are conditioned to not to talk about and also to, to pretty up. And so I, I wanted you to know what was happening for bowels, you know, like I wanted, I wanted that sort of that backstage work to be, to be forward. I mean, what you just said a minute ago about how the outside from looking at someone on the outside, looking at Edie on the outside, you wouldn't right. know all the things going on on the inside. That's like the main gift of writing, right? That's yeah, like right. That's finally right. get to pull the curtain back on a person or a character and figure out like what the internal monologue is because then you figure out all the things that you can potentially share with somebody, right? Like that's right. so many things that you wouldn't know because we don't talk about, but maybe everybody's looking for batteries. Not to- right. That's right, that's right. <laughs> anyway, just as an example, I'm just saying, I don't know. I think that's that's like one of the greatest parts about being able to share the interior life. 100%. Like whenever that, the question of like, I don't know if people ask it anymore. So maybe this is like, a, a, you know, I'm resurrecting out an old argument or question, but like the idea of like the death of the novel, right? And the reason why it will never die is because if it, the way you can represent consciousness on the page, like okay. I don't think, I mean, I don't think there is another medium that can be depicted in, in that way. I totally agree except perhaps memoir. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, which is, yeah, you know, like the writing as a medium. No, writing as a medium is yeah. like unparalleled access in such a, like, I don't know, without it, I feel like we would lose so much connection with people. That's right. I think that's what people are searching for every time they open a book, truly yes. is connection, yes. no matter what form that may take, even if it's escapist or they want to forget their own life. It's, it's a, I don't know. No, I'm sounding yeah. ridiculous, but I do no, feel like- that isn't ridiculous. I mean, that is why I open a book is because I want to feel absorbed in the reality of, of someone, you know, either like me or, or totally unlike me, you exactly. know, like it's, it's like writing. I think that reading is like, it's an act of discovery and there's nothing more like I, I'm also just, this is my taste where I love feeling like I'm looking at a thing that is authentic in the way that it is not studied. Right. Mm-hmm. I love the feeling of being uh, a voyeur, <laughs> of looking in on a private moment. And I think, I think the novel does that so well. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Because it's not like people are going to sit down and tell you about it. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> somehow it's okay to write about it and then we can right. read about it. And somehow that's all socially acceptable. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So let's just go with it. Right. <laughs> Truly. Like getting on a stage and, and like, 
performing this with the content of this book, like truly, I mean, I'm also a severely introverted person. So this is the only way I could have ever written a thing like this is like written it on the page and then released it into the world. (laughs) I was so shy as a kid and I like, I went a whole summer, like on a summer program, just not even opening my mouth and just like thinking about language so much. Yeah. And like, how can some people talk when I'm finding it so impossible to even form a sentence? Yes. And just like being yes. such an observer all the time. And yet, as soon as I would like pick up a pencil or whatever, and now yes. the like, it's like, whoosh. Yes. <laughs> so I feel I, that so hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it's almost like people can't know you until you have that release onto the page. That's right. It's only a fraction of yourself <laughs> that you present to the world. I mean, anyway. to that, I will say that it's funny that I feel I've had some interactions since releasing the book where people like you who know me personally will, will say something like, it is so strange interacting with you now that I know that that was inside you. you know, like, totally. You know, yeah. but that is my writing. That medium is the best way I know how to express. I mean, this is not like autobiography, but like how to express myself. Like it is the only way I know how to say precisely what I mean. Like in real time, I I feel like I never do. That's why sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, oh, how can you be so open? Or how do you write all that stuff? Or I could never or whatever. I'm like, the harder part is going through the rest of life without sort of being able to say it out loud. That's right. (laughs) The easiest part is that it can come out this way. I mean, I guess there's always you feel comfortable sharing it. But in terms of, I don't know, I, if I couldn't do that, I don't know how I would even sort through what I was thinking and feeling. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, I digress from your amazing <laughs> a little bit. I also wanted to talk about the way you talk about race in the book because mm-hmm. you did such a beautiful job. And I was sort of disappointed with myself because I always like to find quotes that maybe people don't talk about that much. But when I was reading your book on the Kindle, I was like, oh, this is a great quote. And it's like 81 people have also highlighted <laughs> I was like, oh, for God's sakes. But anyway, I'll read it anyway, because I still thought it was interesting. So this is in the passage where you're comparing yourself to, not you, where Edie is comparing herself to somebody, another up and coming black woman in her office and saying, talking about sort of the competition and that she feels she's about to be passed over. So she says, and also their relationship between each other. You said, and then I miscalculated too much anger shared too soon. Too much, can you believe these white people? Too much, I'm not going to say it, but F the police. We both graduated from the school of twice as good for half as much, but I'm sure she still finds this an acceptable price of admission. She still rearranges herself waiting to be chosen. And she will be because it is an art to be black and dogged and inoffensive. She is all these things and she is embarrassed that I am not. Yeah, that was, writing those scenes was, I mean, I wanted to be really careful because I, I didn't want to make any sort of grand statements around a correct way to be black. Cause I, you know, I, I wanted to write two professional women, two professional black women who are, who have very different tactics to like pretty much the same mean, which is, which is survival. You know, they're both in their own way, trying to survive in an environment that does not allow them any real margin for error. You know, and, and Aria's response to this is to adhere to this impossible standard, to flatten herself, to make herself more palatable. And Edie's response is refusal in a way. And, and that the fact that they cannot find kinship in each other is perhaps, you know, they may both be actually complicit in that, but more to blame is the environment that has pit them against each other. But it was, it was interesting to write these two Black women who are both hungry, who are both trying to advance, and who can see that in each other. 
you know, who, who in a different, perhaps different context would be able to seek purchase in each other, but are unable to, you know, which I think is real, is, is really real, but also, but also devastating in a way that they are both really, truly in need of, of a friend and of, kin, in, of kinship, but because of their environment and because of the demands that are, are kind of like voiced upon them in how they might survive in this environment, it makes it almost impossible. So those were like, those were real like sad sections to write, even though like Edie is kind of like within her mind is very much like, is deeply judgmental, right? <laughs> and also envious. But it was, yeah, that was, those were scenes where I, I really just wanted to talk about some of the ways like that, that hunger can manifest and the way, you know, a lot of Black women are meant to rise to the occasion in a way that flattens them. Interesting. There's been so much talk in the news and everywhere right now. It's like so of the moment talking about Black women in publishing or Black people in general in publishing yeah. and the shift that's occurring and how it has been and how we hope it will be. What has your in real life experience been, not in your character's life, being in this industry? And do you think that that it's ripe for change? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a real, it's like, there's a real reckoning happening. I mean, just like a few months ago, I feel like a lot of Black people working within this industry were very vocal about not just like the kind of uppercase versions of, of you know, marginalization that they experience in this industry, but like the very kind of small, demoralizing, almost mundane moments, you know, it really is like, there's a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done in in terms of who, what kind of stories we prioritize, who we allow to tell them. And I I really, like, and who we invest in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I do think that, I mean, at least I hope, that that reckoning will kind of usher in a different way of, of going about inclusion. And I feel like those words like inclusion, diversity in practice have become kind of like these, I don't know, I mean, these sexy kind of almost, I, I don't know how to articulate it, you know, these things that actually mean so much and that make us better and make our art better. I think it cannot be a surface level change. Like it has to happen. It has to happen in a real fundamental way before we make any progress. So what is coming next for you, Raven? Are you working on a new book or what's, what's the plan? So, I mean, right. <laughs> I'm really excited to start working on my second book. I haven't, I'm not really in, in the work of that, but I have like a handful of books still in me. And I would love to, you know, whenever I have a moment, but currently I'm really taken up with the task of, of kind of making this, like ushering this book into the world. I mean, it is in the world, but I'm kind of just, that's, that's mostly what I'm, what I'm doing with that's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's really, that too is kind of a dream, but that could be my work. But I think at some point when this dies down a bit, I'll be able to get back to work, get back to the page. And enjoy it. Well, I mean, <laughs> soak it all up. It's amazing. <laughs> Last question. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors, to aspiring authors? 100%. I think a, a kind of common concern and question in that I think that I was trying to, you know, mull over and also that I know a lot of writers who are are trying to get their work out there are thinking about, which is like, how do I, when can I call myself a writer? And I think you call yourself a writer because you're doing the work, because you're, you're actively working on your craft and it, it doesn't, 
necessarily mean like it, it is really wonderful to receive like affirmation and validation from like you know an acceptance from a literary journal now and then you know but I, I do think that for me at least those those moments were you know they were kind of rare <laughs> you know there was much more much more of the process was was working was doing that private work and trying to figure out what worked and, and what would stick and I just yeah I feel like the private work is, is meaningful work and as long as you are, you are you're putting in the work, then you are a writer. As long as you're working on that craft, you're a writer. So that that's what I would say. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Sorry for all my distractions. No. <laughs> with it. I appreciate it. And thanks for sharing everything. I'm going to think of you next time I'm doing a, you know, mental purge on the page. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're out there doing the same thing wherever you are. And anyway, <laughs> sharing that connection. So. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay, have a great day. Thanks so much to firstbook.org for sponsoring this Labor Day book blast. Please consider giving to firstbook.org to help their network of 475,000 educators serving children in need. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thank you.